Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Chris Murphy. We are here to discuss the fourth episode of the HBO series The White Lotus in the Sandbox, which sees new fun pairings of characters down at the beach and introduces a new version of the theme song, a folksy, sort of banjo-heavy, acoustic version of the theme song that I'm fully obsessed with. This song can really go in any direction it wants. So many interpolations. Later, I'll talk to Haley Lou Richardson about heading to Casa Amor with Red Trunks' boy from Essex, Jack. I definitely think Jack is like the the opposite of, of Albie, obviously. Yeah, it's just... I, but I also think that that shows just like how not grounded and, and, and kind of self-serving like Portia's true mindset is right now. There's also the ongoing and all-important question of who winds up dead at the end of the show which definitely got a lot more interesting in this episode. Mm. I think the theorizing did. Chris and I are going to debate who we think is dead, and uh, we'll also fold in your theories about who winds up floating in the Mediterranean. Uh, and we're going to keep track of uh, whichever one, you know, maybe was the most right, I guess, yes. and whoever wins gets an Aperol Spritz. Yum, yum. Yum, yum. He can't wait. <laughs> so, Chris, let's just cut to the chase at the start of this episode and talk about the most interesting new character, Quentin, played right. by Tom Hollander, who... Finally, I mean, I think we have our suspicions about Valentina, but Quentin is unquestionably gay. undoubtedly <laughs> gay, LGBTQ right. plus, and we love to see it. And he, like many a gay man in the real world, uh, worships Jennifer Coolidge slash Tanya. Um, although, given that this is the White Lotus, is Quentin good or bad? That's uh, is anyone good or bad? Well, right. Okay, sure. <laughs> we could go down. I like Tanya I tell my whole life story <laughs> does was, Quentin genuinely think that Tanya is fabulous and has good taste I honestly think knowing Mike White and knowing that he is very attuned to I think conversations about the White Lotus and how gay men act in society and how obsessed many <laughs> queer men and queer people and gay people are with Jennifer Coolidge I think he's doing a little bit of a play yeah. on the internet frenzy and all the love that's being shown on Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. There are plenty. We know so many gay men whose total personality is just loving character actresses. Like that's just like such a real thing. And I think Quentin is a little bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge uh, comment on that phenomenon that is happening to Jennifer Coolidge in real life. So he's just a, an angel who has arrived in sad, lonely Tanya's life to validate her. I really like those guys. Don't you? If you're looking for a friend, gay guys are really the best. Because, let's face it, women are kind of depressing. Oh. You think? Yeah, I think most women are drips. But... It's not their fault. They have a lot to be depressed about. But, you know, they are not fun. These gay guys are fun. It feels like it's maybe a new discovery for her, which you'd think someone like her would know would already. have already had that experience, but maybe not. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it seems like she's spent so much of her life going after male validation, straight male validation, that it could totally right. pass her mind that, wait, actually, I play really well with the gays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a hit. Um, I think the one thing that has me nervous is that, A, well, it's the White Lotus. Yes. Uh, B, nothing good really happens to Tanya. Even her marriage, I think it wasn't good. And C, do you remember in episode two, 
um, Cameron is talking to you know his his group, and he's talking about these rich Europeans who have these villas, but actually they have no money. Yes. And here we have now mention of a villa in Ez and a villa in Palermo, and it's like, wait, these are Europeans who have villas. Does that mean they have no money? And so, and they know maybe they know Tanya. And maybe they does. know that Tanya does. And you know what also scares me? Uh, back to Quentin is the story that he told Tanya about the woman who lived on the cliff in the beautiful right. house. Uh huh. Who then winds up face down in the ocean because she yeah. won't sell her property. And that's where they're going, right? They're right. going to that villa that's now public property, which is maybe for the greater good, he even says. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and there's also Jack to be considered here, who is I'm always Quentin's Jack. nephew. <laughs> yeah, right. He was very hunky Love Island. He's from Essex, which is perfect. Chef's kiss. Um, and he has this immediate thing like he, with, with um, Portia, where it's like there's genuine attraction there, I, I believe, but also like could he be kind of working her could while it, Quentin works her boss? Is it an uncle son sort of like, long con grip? Exactly. And are the are the other European friends in on this whole thing? And you know, because Jack says like, oh, you know, the villa in Palermo is amazing. You'll have to come see it. Um, there, it, it's always gay guys and like older hags. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> Which is he's not like, really kind to Tanya, but or... you would be the youngest wo- girl per, woman there ever. Which like is like so this might be a routine for them or genuinely they just like appreciate a lady of a certain age who's kind of fun. Okay, well now I'm showing that maybe I'm like the gays that I said who just love character actresses. It did not even cross my mind that they would not genuinely want to spend time with Jennifer Coolidge because who wouldn't want to (laughs) genuinely spend time with Tanya? She is a trip. And I think that is honestly that is a dark but completely fair reading of it. And I could definitely see it going down that road. And the Tanya of it all, she's so self, she's so uh, self-concerned and so narcissistic that she wouldn't even know. Right. She would have no idea if she's getting caught. Oh, no, 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 absolutely not. And like the funny thing is, is that, you know, she's had scenes earlier in the season with Portia where she's like, no, don't go after unavailable men. Like Tanya knows from a bad man, but yeah. like she maybe in this case is like letting herself dare to believe I mean, because it opened with like. An out of nowhere compliment that she at first thought the guys looking at her across the d- the dining room were like making fun of her, and mm-hmm. then she's like, "Wait, no, they're complimenting me. I never get compliments on my insane clothes." Like, <laughs> I can, I mean, I feel for her. I just worry that um that the show has other plans. Yeah, <laughs> so reports on you. It's so funny because she says, "Don't go for unavailable men," and now she's sort of being seduced by the most unavailable men, exactly. gay men, right, right, right <laughs> to right. her. But I again, maybe this is my naive little heart speaking but i feel like mike white has too much love for tanya the character and jennifer coolidge the actress to set her up so for such a demise right right yeah i I mean i don't think that she's gonna end up dead at the end um of the season but um maybe this is maybe the kind of kicking off some whatever whatever we're heading toward um well a a reader or rather a listener wrote (laughs) in who knows tarot Mm-hmm. And uh, they said that actually, looking at the cards, they they took a screenshot that actually T- Tanya's cards were kind of good. Yes, and okay. suggested that she's going to k- get some agency and kind of like move on on her own. So like, but that didn't seem to be how the tarot reader was reacting <laughs> yeah. to the cards. So I don't yeah. know. Um, I also wonder what any of this, if Quentin and Jack, his nephew, and the other these other guys actually turn out to be bad, what that means for Portia, because. Mm-hmm. I think you have, I mean, speaking of, of uh, listener emails, a lot of people wrote into us um, over the, the last week about um, Albie. Yeah, very worried about Portia Who, and very skeptical and yeah, of Albie yeah. and his intent. <laughs> like, is he one of those nice guys who's a bad guy, who's like incelly, you know, kind of thing? I think certainly Mike White is aware of that, like, trope or phenomenon yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't I kind of hope that he does. It, it doesn't go that obvious route. Like, I think Albie certainly has certain aspects of that. And we see that play out in this episode where he's like, we do clearly his pride was wounded. Yes, exactly. He was absolutely. And I think for fair reason, he made a plan with Portia, who he's been crushing on. He has mm-hmm. no reason to suspect or even know that, you know, Love Island hunk just came into the villa right. and that has right. completely... <laughs> Porsche's at Casa Amor. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't know that. And I want to say shout out to the costumer whoever decided to put Albie in truly like a child oversized red shirt and like yeah. huge billabong shorts yeah. to confront uh, Portia and Jack. Um, he looked like a literal baby. Yeah. Um, a kid at summer camp. A kid at summer camp dressed by his father or and to have 
his dad, Dominic and Bert, and his grandpa walk up and interrupt the interaction. Just my empathy. Yeah. I feel like I have maybe have maybe too much empathy for Albie. I right now I don't think that he's gonna be some like killer incel person. I just think he's a young man who's growing into himself and honestly doesn't know how he's supposed to act with women because he right. wants to be appropriate, but he also wants to have sex and yeah. he's not confident. I just see him as an insecure man. And he's overbearing yeah. in his way, you know, and not in the way that I think Portia thinks she wants. You know, she I mean, you look at what Jack does and he's taking charge and he's got the sexy swagger and he yeah. makes the comment about his underwear and you'll see it later. And, <laughs> you know, and he kind of like when ever. they're actually hooking up toward the end of the episode at the very end of the episode, like he really is like kind of like taking charge and like Portia's clearly into that. This is her Sicilian adventure. Yes. And Albie just doesn't have that sort of mechanism he doesn't have that he wasn't born with it what she says to tanya at breakfast he's not non-binary that's the sort of the best thing that she can say about him right right that's i mean that was that's the bar and i don't think she meant that i think mike knew exactly what he was doing by using that sort of terminology and bringing in gender identity Uh, um i i don't think that was meant to be sort of cruel to the lgbt community mike white's too smart for that but he's it seemed to say that oh she's you know not really attracted to him. That's right. like what that's basically what I got from that line. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully it's as innocent as that. And um, you know, because Albie has a new lady in his life, Lucia. I, the meek will inherit the earth, and let's say that Albie comes through <laughs> yeah, at the yeah. end. And I'm I'm happy for him. As Bert says, uh, like father, like father, like son. Because <laughs> Bert, se- Bert seems very tickled by like keeping track of where Lucia and Mia are at any given moment and be like, yeah. oh, those are the girls. Like, <laughs> you know, and he sees, you know, Mia topless in his room mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, Bert knows all. So we now have Mia and Lucia have touched on everyone now. Just like, about. Every little group, we, I think. Yeah. They, I mean, I guess not directly Portia and Tanya, but sort of. Yeah. 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 And they're. It's funny because I was thinking about last season and the transactional nature and the classism in regards to the service employees and, you know, how they come and go. And Mia and Lucia are sort of trapped in their own way in the White Lotus. Like they can't leave. If they leave, then they might never be able to come back. And they're just going from group to group, just whoever will take them. Mm -hmm. No home base, really. And they've now found a home base with Albie. Do you think Lucia genuinely likes him? Okay, I feel like I'm sounding so naive and so pie in the sky, head in the clouds this right. episode, but I do think she legitimately I do too. liked him. I think they're about the same age. Mm-hmm. I think that what might be appealing to her compared to Cameron or certainly Dominic, Dominic was nice to them. Yeah. Cameron, we see in this episode, like doesn't even have the enough money, yeah. um, even though they told him up front last episode, this is going to be expensive. Yes. Um, you know, uh, Albie doesn't know. And and so I think she's just kind of like, wait, so I does this kid think that we're just having a conversation on the beach and I'm like a fellow hotel guest? Like, what a lark for her, you know, like that must feel so refreshing. Yeah, I feel like and we see this episode that she's struggling with the sort of Italian Catholic guilt yeah. about her profession and about being a sex worker. And she has aspirations to own a store and, you know, potentially leave that behind. Mm-hmm. So I do think that it was probably really refreshing and really lovely to just be Lucia and not be Lucia, you know, the sex worker, Lucia on on the clock. And I do think she found him to be sort of naively adorable. Yeah. I mean, I think half of the people I've talked to who watched her were like, wait, I'll be so cute. I don't get why (laughs) and why everyone isn't throwing themselves at him. Exactly. And I will. I think the shot with his butt at the very end will be trending on Twitter. Oh, the minute... Well, a certain corner of Twitter. <laughs> anyway. the, Gen- the Jennifer Coolidge loving corner of Twitter, let's yes, say. they're going to eat that up. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was, I also think it was nice how, I mean, I don't know what it's like to come down from euphoric drugs, of course. I have no idea what that feels like. Oh, yeah, But I, I would imagine hypothetically that, that Mike White's like, oh, like, Lucia would be feeling like shit and not just physically, but like mentally. Yes. You know, she's like, we had, I, I just did Molly or whatever it was and now I'm kind of down in the dumps and for whatever reason, Mia is like, no, whatever. Come on, snap out of it. It's just the drugs talking. Like, you're fine. You're, you're, you're not going to get punished, you know? She's empowered. Both of their brain yeah. chemistry has been altered from the drugs mm-hmm. and from the experience. And Lucia is sort of on a downswing. Sort yeah. of, you know, she's yeah. coming down from it. And and Mia, you know, God bless her. She has sort of a revelation about what sex can do and what how it can be used to literally be a means to an end and get what she wants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which she tries to do with Giuseppe, uh, the, you know, singer, piano player guy yeah. who uh, has really 
I guess, somewhat respectably just put it out on the table from yeah. like the get-go. He's like, look, if you sweep, sleep with me, I'll introduce you to my musician friends. We don't is know it, yet if those friends exist, actually. That is but, actually true, yeah. but that seems sort of like a tales of this time in the music industry. Right, you right, know? right. But at least he's pointing to the casting couch and saying, this is the casting <laughs> couch, you know? <laughs> yes, he's being very clear about yeah. it. Um, and, you know, we see, like, that the student has become the master now, and Mia's like, I'm going to go do it. And Lucia's kind of horrified. Yeah, and Mia is actually a little bit too eager to do it to the point where she drugs him yeah. in multiple ways. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking about, you know, Papa Molly, I'm sweating. Right. Giuseppe <laughs> learned the hard way. Yeah, which did about that. I forget, did he take both pills? He took both which pills. Which is like your heart. That's not good for your heart. It can't I, I can't imagine. Be good. That's a lot of blood rushing in a lot of different places. I feel like that's probably not good. Yeah, even Cameron was smart enough to be like, we don't need Viagra. <laughs> yeah. I guess he didn't need it anyway. Yeah, but clearly. but yeah, I, I'm curious where this is all going to go with Mia. I mean, obviously like m- more listeners wrote in and, you know, kind of agreed with our we both you and I, Chris, have had a theory over these episodes that, like, Mia and Lucia, unfortunately, are going to be the bodies in the water. Yeah. I think we are seeing these girls, like, veer, I mean, at least Mia kind of veering into sort of maybe some dangerous territory. I mean, she almost killed someone. Yeah. No, I mean, Giuseppe may be the first of the of the bodies. Right, <laughs> right, we, right. We might have just gotten our first kill, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, Valentina is... um. I don't know where she's with, where she is with me and Lucia, but like Valentina knows exactly who they are. Mm-hmm. And she, in some ways, I mean, now I'm going back to Survivor, but like <laughs> she knows like well, what idols they have. And she's yes. like, that's threatening to me and Lucia, you know, that like Valentina could at any time figure out a way to get, throw them out or get them in trouble. Yes. There was an interesting uh, reader or listener theory that Valentina may have actually been a former sex worker herself. And, oh yeah. Yeah. That somebody uh, emailed and I'm forgetting the name um, that, very well could be true, but she does seem to know the game they're playing quite well. But she's very preoccupied with her own uh, burgeoning love story, or at least her affections for Isabella. And she gets her employee, and I'll say it, the ugliest starfish brooch I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. That feels out of character for her. It feels like she's right. acting in ways that she may has she might not have ever acted before, which right. makes me think that maybe this is a new feeling and a new experience for her. Yeah, it's awkward. Like I said, it's impersonal. She's like, here's pretty thing for pretty girl. Like, yeah. It's just, it's not but like... I think she feels it's deeply personal. Like it oh, is impersonal, but she, it's, yeah. deep, it's deeply felt from her. And I think that that's, you know, we, we've seen that kind of pain in, uh, on this show before and, and really in a lot of Mike White's work as a whole, like that sort of problem of communication where someone is like, there's a whole like ocean roiling in them and they kind of think the other person can hear it. And it's like, no, you have to like, express yourself. Yeah. But I mean, again, you know, it's Valentina would be taking a risk there. Um, but I think there's a nice parallel with her getting Isabella that um, starfish and like Dominic, who's like, I'm, I went and bought, I bought jewelry for your mom and your sister. Like, won't that work? And it's like, why would you either you Valentina or Dominic think that's like the way the trick, that, you know? Yeah. Even Albie is mature enough. And this is why I think I'm giving Albie more credit than some of our gorgeous listeners are. Even he's emotionally mature enough to realize that Dominic buying his mom gifts isn't going to save right. their family and that what he's done is probably potentially irreversible. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, Albie was already having a really tough spot. I mean, Albie is sort of the peaks and valleys of Albie this episode. Really wonderful. He had already sort of been rejected by Portia and for Jack. She chose Jack over him. And then he comes and sits down and his dad is sort of shaming him for not wanting to get involved right. in fixing his the problem that Dominic created. Albie had had enough. And I yeah. was like, I'm proud of you, Albie, for saying that. Except maybe now we can turn back to the Albie is bad theory where it's like, Okay, so he's got the simmering resentment towards his father oh. and men like his father. And is Jack maybe in his eyes a man like his father wow. where it's like, uh-oh, uh-oh. you know, maybe Portia and Jack are in the water. I don't know. That's actually such a good theory. Maybe it all becomes too much and it, he, yeah. he explodes. Although I think the other thing to keep in mind with the White Lotus, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that Mike White doesn't want to exactly mirror last season, but the death last season was kind of an accident. Yeah, you know, and so I, maybe maybe we're looking the wrong way when we're we're trying to find like the Motive, intentional yes. killer. You know, M- maybe it's something kind of stupider and <laughs> you know accidental than that. Tanya slips and falls. You know, right. okay. <laughs> still watching. We'll be back in just a moment, and when we return, a conversation with Haley Lou Richardson and theories about who's dead. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. 
Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. I did want to go back and sort of talk about, I guess, one specific line between Mia and Giuseppe mm-hmm. when they're in the rectory and she and you know they're having sex or they're just about to have sex. Um, and I think it was sort of the thesis statement of the episode to me, and it came up in so many different ways. It's the part where Mia says, "Why do men have all the power?" Mm-hmm. And Giuseppe goes, "It's so that girls like you can skip the line and right. get to the front of the line." Right. And I was so struck by that because I was like, "Oh, it's that's a little like on the nose or a little, you know, maybe." Not the subtlest way of expressing sure. that. But then to go back to sort of Quentin and his gay party, we literally see that exact dynamic play out at the like the party, the pool party mm-hmm. with his queer friends. They hit on that guy Mateo, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, you're so cute. You're like, come to my gym. Like they have, yeah. you know, they have money, yeah. they've got they're buying drinks or whatever. And then Mateo brings all his cute little Twinkie friends yeah. up to party. So it was as much as it's a gendered dynamic. It really isn't a gendered dynamic. Yeah. And we see it both in terms of straight relationships and queer relationships. I thought it was so smartly and deftly thread throughout the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think certainly like what white one of the things that white's doing in this season is looking at like the lives of the beautiful people, yes. you know, and being like, how do these power dynamics work? And yes, it is pretty much all boiled down to sex. But yeah. like there's other stuff at work, too, where it's like, you know, there's a certain status of being surrounded by, you know, good looking people or whatever. There is an know? exchange. And if you're good looking, then you can exchange that for literal capital. Right. And literal if money or drinks or status. We see that exchange. And it sort of goes back to Tanya and Quentin because it's sort of unclear what that exchange might be. Mm-hmm. If, you know, she's rich, he's gay. But clearly there might be some sort of exchange there. I mean, you you know, I think also if we want to turn to um, some other people, mm-hmm. like Cameron uses his good looks for power, you know, and um, sometimes he maybe takes it too far. We have um, both Cameron and Ethan waking up with like the world's worst hangovers, yes. much like Lucia is experiencing maybe. Um, and but we also we see them handle it in different ways. I think Cameron wakes up. He's like, oh, I feel like shit. Well, but he's I'm, done I'm, this. I'm Teflon. Like, yeah. you know, exactly. He's, he's done, done before. this before. Yeah. He's had this. He's woken up with the girls in the bed and they got to get out and. It's very, very normal for him, right? It's a lived-in experience. Ethan, he's clearly, this is a new thing for him. Yeah, it's new and he's like really having a hard time processing it. But I think he doesn't yet know. I don't think he's really processing much guilt because he didn't really do anything. He just like got too drunk and did drugs. Yeah, well, he didn't really do anything until Harper gets back. And then he repeatedly lies by omission the entire (sighs) live-along day, which we got to talk about. Well, yes, and it's because... You know, Cameron used the oldest trick on the book in the book, which is like appeal to like male bonding bro and the bro code. code. Bro code. Bro code. <laughs> yeah, baby, bro code. Sure, yeah, whatever. Bro code. Thank you. I love you. I just want to be inside you. No, thank you. Please. No, man. I want to do stuff to you. No. I want to make you feel good. The joke goes on like a little bit long enough that Ethan's kind of eyes open wider and he's like, what is going on here? You know, and I'm just like, that might just be Mike White kind of being funny. But like, I don't know. Maybe there's something more there. Uh, It's so couched in the fratty like, the funniest thing I could ever do is be gay. So let me be gay. Right. Like it's it's couched in that humor. But there is this undercurrent and they're at their big age, too. It's like it, it, it there might be something more there. Yeah. Yeah. At least on Cameron's side. Um, but for the time being... And Cameron is a yeah. sexual animal. He's, Cameron might be just sort of like pansexual, yes, exactly. voracious. I yeah. don't see him kicking many things out of the bed. That's what I imagine. Right, right, right. Uh, maybe some of uh, Quentin's friends. <laughs> maybe the older ones. Um, maybe the older ones. But now he and Ethan are sort of bonded in this lie that Cameron is like no big deal. And Ethan seems a bit more fraught by... So I guess my big question about the way that this this plot line turns in this episode is, do you buy that Harper wouldn't say anything right away? Okay, and this is where I want to get into Survivor with you. Yeah. So Harper finds Chekhov's condom wrapper. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, okay. And it honestly, it's such an important prop 
And it's so, ooh, it was so good. And so for a while, I think Harper would be actually terrible at Survivor. Yeah. I think she'd yeah. be really bad at it because she, Aubrey Plaza is an actress. Harper is not an actress. Right. Harper, her resentment, her, she was basically disso- dissociating the entire episode. Oh, fully catatonic. She was yeah. completely not yeah. there and not present. And I do think, so while I think Harper is, would be a bad Survivor player because I don't think she has any social game or um, the ability to, uh, you know, charm or convince people of anything. I do think the lawyer jumped out in her. And I do think she's probably a great lawyer yeah. in that she has the evidence. She has everything that she needs. She has the condom wrapper. And she gave Ethan literally like nine chances yeah. to just tell the truth and to explain what happened, knowing full well that she has, you know, all the proof in uh-huh. her purse. So I do think from a lawyer perspective, I do think that she would actually give him 24 hours or give him some time right. to, you know, set the record straight or address it or whatnot. And then we're due for a volcanic eruption quite soon. From Yeah, her. that really makes sense. I, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. And and then she's given now him now another test, which is like, I'm going to put it on the bathroom counter <laughs> and we'll see how what he does with that. Yeah. Like, will he acknowledge it? Like, well, you know, we'll have to find out next week. But like, what's a shame about that? The moment when she finds the condom wrapper is just before that Harper feels like she's had a little victory. Oh, she's on she's top like, of the world. I honey. Was right. They cheat on each other. Well, she, she says he cheats on her. And I think she does, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in that moment before she finds the condom wrapper, I think she's like, see, babe, like we're bonded. Like we don't cheat on each other. We tell each other the truth we're about so everything. We're so honest. We're so honest with each other. And then just two seconds later, like that whole premise collapses for her. Yes. I am rooting for Harper. Mm-hmm. I think that she maybe flew a little too close with the sun with a, we're so much better than them there. Oh, yeah. And yeah. she's, you know, now she got burned. Yeah. I mean, you know, there have been moments, uh, particularly talking about this difficult birth that that Daphne went through mm-hmm. where you know Cameron and, and her have been humanized as individuals but also as a couple where you're like okay they might be kind of monstrous and Cameron certainly re- represents a monstrous industry and yes. Daphne is kind of shallow and a little bit bitchy sometimes but like they're like je- they're actual people yeah they're you humans. know um and weirdly enough like it makes Harper seem like the meaner one yeah. who's like kind of you know going home and like spilling state secrets that that Daphne had, had shared with her yeah. immediately, immediately upon getting, getting back. Um, so I'll be curious to see where that dynamic goes because they now kind of all have something on each other mm-hmm. uh, in a way that they didn't before. And now it's out in the open that Cameron wants Will, uh, Ethan to invest. Yeah. And, um, you know, both sides of the couples now know about infidelity mm-hmm. of, some, of some kind or another. So, yeah. I do think it needs to be said, too, not to be anti Harper and Ethan that Ethan literally didn't cheat on her. Like he literally didn't have sex. That's not his condom. That was, or at least we're led to believe that is Cameron's condom. Right. We saw him in Lucia. So in some ways, Harper and Ethan's relationship is stronger or more honest Mm -hmm. than Cameron and Daphne's. But there was a really interesting listener letter that posited, I think uh, a man named Nick sent it in. Thank you, Nick. Uh, that posited that maybe Cameron and Daphne are totally in on this whole entire thing and they are sort of Trolling, they planned for exactly what happened to happen down to me and Lucia, down to Daphne whisking Harper away, and that they're in cahoots to, I don't know, get their money or <sighs> something like that. Something so like maybe that. Quentin and Jack aren't the only maybe con people on at the resort. Maybe we have multiple con yeah. people. Maybe Cameron and Daphne are. I mean, Cameron's whole industry is a fucking con <laughs> game. So, like, <laughs> oh, I do want to talk about one other Cameron moment. Uh, Read Giuseppe. So when Giuseppe, you know, has his Molly attack or he sort of falls to the floor and it's like he's clearly like unwell. This was really funnily done, but also really depressing. Cameron just turns to the maitre d' and it says, or please to yeah, sit down at dinner. I know. And I was like, oh, that's that <laughs> is completely how that person would act in that situation. Like complete. And everybody was sort of so unconcerned with Giuseppe in such a way. Bert made a joke like, oh, he's worse than usual tonight. And mm-hmm. then Quentin walks by and he's like, well, maybe they'll get another one, a better right. one right. now that Giuseppe is gone. So I just I'm trying to like keep a uh, a handle or a grasp on the classism and sort of that aspect right. of it. Yeah, and yeah. I think it is still even though this season is so much about sex and relationships, we're still getting aspects of that. 
So, Chris, I think we can't deny that Portia and Jack are the new it couple at the White Lotus, Sicilia. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you got to talk to one half of them, uh, Haley Lou Richardson, who plays uh, Portia. Absolutely. I got to talk to Haley Lou Richardson this week about how Portia is living her best life this episode. All of a sudden. Fi- All finally. of a sudden. Yeah. You know, from zero to hero. We love to see it. <laughs> well, let's hear that now. Hi. Hi. Oh, my God. I'm so... I gotta say, Haley Lou Richardson, I'm so happy to be talking to you and talking to you on Still Watching. I am so obsessed with Portia. She finally is getting her hot girl summer. She's gotten her adventure at the end of episode four. She's living, she's living out loud and she's having the adventure she's always wanted. How does she feel at the end of episode four, do you think? Oh yeah, that's the that's the she gets to make out with a hot guy. He's not Italian. Yeah, gets, he's he's British or whatever. He's but, British. He's straight you know. out of Love Island. Yeah. Oh, which I literally have paused on my TV right there. I'm not even. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Were you a Love Island fan before watching this? Before filming White Lotus season two? No, I think maybe Leo did it to me. <laughs> maybe, no maybe, way. Maybe Leo, like getting to know Leo subconsciously, made me want to watch a bunch of just like hot guys with British accents like I don't know with their shirts off um but yeah no I really have it paused on my tv right there but Portia at the end of season or episode four yeah I think she's starting to feel alive for sure Mm -hmm. hopefully she'll stop complaining because (laughs) I like looked up Portia on Twitter because I don't have a Twitter yeah, you stole sh- my next question. That's oh, it perfect. is? What was your next question? <laughs> well, have you seen the memes about Portia crying because she's on an all-expenses-paid trip to Sicily? Yeah, and then she's not allowed to do her job, but she's like second. No, that was definitely, I mean, Mike knows what he's doing. He did, he did that intentionally because it's so uh, ironic and... <laughs> shitty uh, you know um so i so i'm glad yeah i i I did look up portia and i i twittered or tweeted looked up my name which i literally don't think i will ever do again (laughs) um yeah how was that well yeah i mean like people after episode three like seem to be pretty annoyed with portia and me as an actor (laughs) that's crazy uh, when they mix up the two (laughs) yeah but i mean i guess maybe it's because i'm just doing porsche so good i don't know but uh but yeah is that it anyways hopefully they'll stop being maybe maybe she's a little she'll become hopefully a little less annoying because she stops complaining because she just starts making out with a hot guy right yeah, but you know what? I'm gonna, you know, what? I'm gonna defend Portia and okay. you by okay. proxy. All right, <laughs> please. She's yes, she's <laughs> yes, she's been dropped in Sicily and she's having this amazing vacation and it's fantastic. But clearly, like she's just coming out of a pandemic, she's lost. She's working for Tanya, who cannot be an easy boss. I think she's a lot of reasons to feel frustrated with the situation she's supposed to be, you know, right by Jennifer Coolidge's side, but also completely uh, anonymous and completely away so it's like Mm -hmm. how i understand why portia is stressed and having a difficult time navigating her relationship with tanya can you tell me about like does does portia love tanya like are they friends is she a good boss what do you think about that uh employee and employer relationship well first of all thank you for Coming to our defense. <laughs> oh, I, I will. I ride for Porsche. <laughs> okay. I, I really, really appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, I think the Tanya and Porsche relationship and dynamic is actually kind of dark because I mm. think that, you know, like in the first episode and, and me when I kind of just like, you know, got the audition and the character description and had like this basic kind of image of what this character was going to be in this dynamic and everything with Tanya. I was like, Oh, she's going to be like, Tanya is going to be a nightmare. And Porsche is just going to be this like, um, like relatable, just like frazzled assistant. And I think that, um, you know, as the episodes go on, you really see just like the, the angst and the, and the misery and the, bit of like kind of narcissism and just like unawareness and lostness that Portia has that almost kind of Mm -hmm. is like a mini Tanya. Like (laughs) I really do feel like, and we talked about this, me and Mike talked about this of like, if Portia doesn't get her shit together, 
like she could end up just as like the broke, not billionaire version of of Tanya. <laughs> you know, wow. that is that is harrowing. I know to it's imagine. dark. I never. <laughs> that is really yeah. dark. It's a mini me like Portia as Tanya's yeah. mini me is sort of is sort of crazy. And it does like because I uh, from watching the season, I was like, I wonder how Portia and Tanya got connected, you know, because they sort of seem and the way the Portia acts, they seem like they're, you know, very different, very yeah. different women. Portia has her head on her shoulders in many ways. She's self-aware. You know, she's lost. But, but, oh, but yep, is, making a face. is she is not self-aware? Portia self-aware? I think she has like, okay, let's talk I about think it. that Portia has like, and I, I relate to this because I have been stuck here before. And I might still be in my mm-hmm. life. Like, I feel <laughs> like she's in that place that like, I think a lot of young people honestly are in where like they think they know everything but really they're just yeah. like they have this kind of expectation and judgment on like all the things around them and this hyper awareness for everybody around them mm-hmm. and like and also this like uh, it's like intense expectation from everything else and everybody else because yeah. of putting all the awareness and responsibility on that and then Portia, I don't think is capable at this point in her life, like so far what we've seen in in the show, to like look inward and actually mm. see that she is part of her, like she is her own problem in in so many ways. Mm. Um, so yeah, wow. I think I think she has this like fake self awareness. That's that yeah. Wow. And I can say this because I <laughs> I relate. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's so. I think that's so great in terms of her projecting and her thinking everything else oh, is yeah. a problem. She's sitting in Sicily and she's like, "There's no adventure. You can't get lost mm-hmm. anymore. You know, everyone's on their phones." And she's also part of the problem. It's me. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. It's Portia. <laughs> I teach a dance class to old people, and I'm actually doing it. To, yeah, I'm doing you it do? today too. But th- today and last Wednesday, I'm doing the dance to to Antihero. <laughs> yeah, to Antihero. And it's a great wow. That dance. is actually. <laughs> One, I would love to take that dance class. Gonna take that dance class one day. That's fantastic. Two, wow, Portia, Portia is the antihero. Taylor Portia might be the wrote anti- this song for Portia. Oh my gosh, I'm having a mind blowing moment. That is, that's her anthem. That's her anthem. And is that why? And I've got to say, maybe this is crazy at this point, but is that why she can't connect with Albie? I'm still rooting for Portia and Albie. I still want them you to are? figure it out. Am I crazy? No, I think that's really <laughs> sweet. I love your perspective on all of this so far. You have empathy for Portia <laughs> and you like her and Albie together. No, I like this. Um, no, I do think that in a in another world, well, in this world, Albie could be so great for Portia in so many ways, but she would also just ruin him. And there would mm. be so much just resentment there because they're they're. I think as. Yeah, Portia's just not. Able to I don't I don't know, honestly, it's weird because Portia's so lost and having this like quarter life crisis. And it's strange because. Normally I can describe and talk about characters I play like so acutely. And with Portia, <laughs> yeah. it's like my brain like blows up and is all over the map. And I think it's just because that's what she's like to me. Well, and I think that's because Mike White, I mean, uh, credit to him. He wrote such a nuanced, complicated character where you like, you can be rooting for her, but also notice that, yeah, she's self-aware, but is that yeah. even real? Is that is that fake self-awareness? And for me, the reason why I think I'm rooting for Portia and Albie a little bit, even though it's clear that she's not that into him and it's a little bit of a nice guy's finish last situation, mm-hmm. it seems, is that I did feel that they they could both learn something from each other. Like Portia is trying to sort of teach Albie to get out yeah. of the shell and to, to sort of be a little bit more forthcoming and go for what he wants. And Portia could maybe learn from Albie to look inward and maybe like be a little bit more interior and not necessarily as yeah gung ho. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. I think that I think that on paper it's kind of like that. But then if you actually imagine them like after this vacation trying to date and like 
it, if you actually imagine that, it would just be a mess, I think. I think it would just, mm -hmm. I really do think Portia would ruin him. And I think that <laughs> she would just, uh, I don't know. But but I do love your hope. I love, I love. But I also so understand that sometimes a guy walks in the pool and he's so hot that you lose all sense of mm -hmm. yourself and you can't focus on what's in front of you. And that's what happened when Jack comes in the pool in his red trunks the episode prior and Portia sees him. So I understand when that walks in, when, when that walks Island into the villa. Comes to the villa. <laughs> when a bombshell walks in. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jack yeah. is a bombshell on, on, on Love Island. Uh, yeah, I, um, I definitely think Jack is like the, the opposite of, of Albie, obviously. Yeah, it's just, I, but I also think that that shows just like how, not grounded and, and, and kind of self-serving like Portia's true mindset is right now is that she can just like, mm -hmm. yeah. But you know, sometimes you have to be that way in, in life. It's everyone's on their own journey, but yeah. Do you think that Portia and Jack would, you know, work better in real life than Portia and Albie? Like, do you think that no, has more potential? <laughs> no, I think that all of these <laughs> options for Portia right now are unhealthy. I think that she needs to spend some time alone mm. and get a therapist. I think, mm. I think that's what she really needs. Um, I think, I think Portia would ruin Albie, and I think Jack would ruin Portia. Wow, wow. Okay, that's the spectrum. That's the dichotomy. Well, speaking of therapists, Tanya does try to give her some kind of sage advice about not you know, going after mm -hmm. unavailable men. Should she, <clears throat> should she be listening to Tanya more? Do you think that's, or, you know? Well, yeah, that's an interesting thing that I remember thinking while we were filming is there are these little moments where Tanya and Portia do kind of connect or where like Tanya is at, mm -hmm. or Portia, oh, wow, I'm getting them confused. <laughs> Portia, <laughs> yeah, <the> <laughs> Portia is like actually taking what uh, Tanya's saying to heart or like, um, mm -hmm. Portia is kind of confiding in Tanya and like there's almost like this little bit of like friendship or like bonding or almost. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember thinking that was so interesting while we were filming it. Those moments, they felt so like uh, unexpected of actual connecting or whatever. But um, but yeah, I, since since Portia could very well end up being Tanya, but just broke, um, I do think she yeah. should if she had true awareness and self-awareness, she could look at this woman and be like, uh, take it as like a warning sign, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cautionary tale. I, I gotta know. Um, you said during filming, what's it like to act opposite Jennifer Coolidge and to sort of, is it intimidating? Did you feel like you learned something? Is it, it that feels like <laughs> such an amazing yeah. opportunity and uh, unbelievable. Yeah, it was an amazing opportunity. I feel like, um, I don't think I was intimidated, but I was like observing constantly. And I think there's so many times with, with the two of them where Tanya's really leading the scene and having some problem and are going off about something. And Portia's just like watching or like reacting. Yeah. Um, and I feel like with anyone else that would have been like with any other actor and any other character that could have been really unfulfilling for me as an actor <laughs> to just like be along for the ride. Yeah. But because it's Jennifer Coolidge and because it's Tanya, this like truly another one of her iconic characters, I think that she's brought to life. I like, I, I really just like, Oh yeah. It was f genuinely fulfilling and like, uh, interesting. And I learned a lot just to like be there and observe her and, you know, and kind of react to it. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was cool. And also I felt really um, lucky because she's only one and John, um, but they're the only ones from the first season. And the tone of the show is so specific mm -hmm. and important. And I really wanted to like understand how I could fit into that with just what I would instinctively bring to this character and since so many of my scenes are with jennifer and like my first week i was just working with jennifer a bunch i felt like i immediately wow. like got 
understood the tone of the show because she kind of is the tone of the show. So yeah, I just felt, yeah. I felt really lucky with <laughs> that because sure. it, it made me kind of like finding my place in, in all of that easier. Wow. That is so, that's so cool. That is, and that's such, you guys do beautiful work <laughs> with each other. Really. It's funny. It's devastating. It's really fantastic. Um, I got, I got to know sort of to close out. Do you have any, anything for the, the Porsche haters out there <laughs> on Twitter scrolling through or what do you have anything to say to them? Well, honestly, I, I understand. I agree. <laughs> like, like this is all, this is intentional, you know, like she is supposed to, I think the word I saw the most when I was like scrolling through Porsche tweets was insufferable. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it because it's, it's also sneaky. It's like in the first episode or maybe the first two episodes, you're like, Oh, this person's so relatable. Like she's like the only one who's not some rich asshole on this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh yeah, we can understand. But then it's like so much of that, like complaining and lostness and angst and desperation and like misery and um, pity, like self-pity. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, while I have so much empathy and care for Portia, because, you know, I had to for five months doing the show, I always mm -hmm. knew, and Mike and I always knew that that was the point. Like there is not one wow. character on this show that is safe from being insufferable in some type of way, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Or flawed in some type of way. Yeah, deep, deeply. deeply flawed in some type yeah. of way. Deeply, deeply. And you know, I am, I, well, I'm a Portia stan and I Thank think <laughs> she's not insufferable. I just think she's lost. And if we get her a good therapist, yeah, she could be, she could be, do great things one day. She could share mine. <laughs> yeah, her her and Christy would get along, I think. But um, oh, let's get Christy on the line. Let's, let's get, get <laughs> let's tell Christy in. Um, but yeah, no, I I always thought that about her. I was like, she needs a therapist. And every time, because I was talking to my therapist throughout shooting, you know, over Zoom mm -hmm. and everything, and I'd be like, God, Portia needs this. Portia, Portia needs this. Wow. Yeah. God, that's so. Oh, that's so wonderful. Wow, Haley, this has been. So fun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you, Haley. Really appreciate it. Bye. All right, Chris, now it's time for uh, the most important segment of this and every episode of Still Watching the White Lotus. Mm. Who do we think is dead? <laughs> Uh, before we offer our ideas, um, we should turn to some listeners who wrote in. I believe we already mentioned this uh, earlier in the episode, but just to reiterate, uh, a listener named Miles wrote in and said, the hotel concierge, uh, which I guess it means Isabella or Valentina, I think they mean Valentina. I would say Valentina. Uh, kills someone, literally anyone, but probably the prostitutes. We've seen what limited joy she has in her life, only happy when feeding two adorable kittens and she's going to snap. Although she does have a new potential happiness in her life with Isabella, although Isabella is not. Isabella does not yeah. seem to reciprocate, yeah. but... <laughs> but I like that theory. I do like that theory. I do think Valentina is capable of murder if that yeah. <laughs> supports your theory. Uh, and Hannah in Italy, who has written in before, I believe, um, she says... Uh, Ciao, Anna. Come stai? Um, I am worried that the mention of the word incel does not bode well for Portia. I am afraid her rejection of Albie in favor of hot pool boy Jack may end badly, and Albie may be protesting too much to his father and grandfather. The fortune teller was also predicting murder, thought, um, uh, though it wasn't clear to me whose murder she was predicting. But when Portia said, I thought I'd get a reading, I got worried for her. Oh, that's mm. a really good point that I thought yeah. I got a reading. I, yeah. I, I thought I would get a reading. Again, now that Albie is in the loving arms of Lucia, it makes me think that maybe he he won't resort to murder. But again, as Richard said earlier, tensions are rising. He's been through a lot this vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we've stalled long enough. We have to. We now have to put our own chips on the table. Um, I think after watching this episode, my new theory is that a dead person is. Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay. Quentin and someone else. Quentin and someone else. Okay. Okay. Yeah, tell me I don't, about. I don't know who. Um, I just think that if they are scamming Tanya, mm -hmm. I think the show and Mike White has enough affection for Tanya to let her win in the end okay. a little bit, which means somehow by some accident, Quentin is the one. Maybe they go visit the island villa 
and he trips and falls or something happens or maybe she pushes him but gets away with it yeah and he dies but i don't know who the other body or bodies would be okay could it be the french actor who's on emily in paris <laughs> named bruno guri right yes the, yeah i think hair. that's right it could be him <laughs> yeah, it could yeah, be him. yeah. shout out i was obsessed that he's in it it's so great um that actually is a very uh interesting because to be brought on so late yeah it, in, you know, we're halfway through the season now, so it feels like something big. They've got to be in, they well, Quentin has to have been brought in for a reason, yeah. more than just being, you know, Tanya's gay best friend. Right. And don't you think it would make some sense to, like, have two seasons of The White Lotus be building to Tanya killing a man <laughs> <laughs> for all of men's sins? Yeah, that would be, there's, there's something really beautiful about that, honestly. And, oh, and we also keep hearing about, I mean, we did in the first episode, we keep seeing the the heads, you know, the, the yes. statuary stuff and, like, the story about that where she cut off, you know, the guy's head because he cheated on her or whatever. Like, so maybe that we're, we're maybe we're going to get a woman on man crime. Well, that's exactly where my brain went, yeah. but I didn't go for Tanya killing Quentin. I went for the Harper killing Ethan. I feel like the way that she, Ooh. or Harper killing maybe multiple people. Harper goes on a rampage. Harper, yeah, a Harper yeah. rampage. I, the way that Harper dissociated this episode mm-hmm. and how painful and how uh, upset she was, even at the thought, the prospect of, you know, her imagination was running wild with what Ethan might have done. I could see her seeking revenge either potentially. I mean, I think she loves Ethan, obviously. But I don't know, a, a scorned woman, yeah. things things can go left real quick. So, you know, clearly she doesn't kill Daphne. But right, that's all we know. Maybe. And Valentina. And Valentina. And Rocco. And Rocco. But that's it. There are a lot, more other pe- there are a lot of other people that could be dead maybe, better. Maybe Harper hand. kills Mia and Lucia. Or maybe, maybe Harper, maybe it's Ethan, maybe it's Cameron. I don't know. I just, something really shifted. Yeah. Harper this week that yeah. made me afraid of her yeah. <laughs> and what Fair she's enough. capable of. <laughs> well, if you agree, disagree, have alternate theories, uh, please do write us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. And, um, you know, it, it really adds to the sort of viewer experience, I think, and the podcast experience to yeah. um, have input from other people. So please, again, that's stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Yes. So that's it for this week's episode. You can, again, email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com with theories about the show, critiques, you know, if you if you have any Italian extra knowledge, knowledge you want to share tarot knowledge, tarot knowledge. Thank you. We, we, we always appreciate that. All um, of the above. If you don't want to email, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Rylas, which is R I L A W S, and I'm at Christress, which is C H R I S T R E S S. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our editor and producer is Dave Gonzalez, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes and Katie Rich. We had technical assistance from Scott Lee. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next week for episode five. Looking forward to seeing you then. 